right. Well, good morning. Welcome. My name is Darren, and I uh, serve as uh, pastor here. want to invite you all to turn in your worship guides to page three. Are, th- are there any kids with us today? Yes. Welcome, kids. want to invite you to turn in your worship guide. Uh, wh- let me just give you a little bit of instruction. Kids, uh, any, any kids here for their first Doodle Sunday? Anyone here for their very first? Yes, right there. Very welcome. So glad you're here. Want to give you a couple bits of information about this. Uh, we have uh, this time, the first Sunday of every month, that we call Doodle Sunday, and that's where we invite our kids who are normally in children's church to be with us in the service. And any of the kids here know why we do that? Anyone know why? Yes. To follow along. That's right. So I want to invite you kids to follow along because we believe that uh, the, the passage that's about to be read and the things that I'm going to talk about, that they're for you just as much as they're for me uh, or for anyone else. I do want to ask uh, of you kids a couple of things. So I need all the kids to listen. Right. Number one is I want you to focus on listening. And uh, I want to give you a bit, bit of a tip on that. It's impossible to listen if you're doing what? If you're rocking out to Pearl Jam on your headphones? Yes. Um, But it's also impossible to listen if you're talking, right? So we want to focus on listening and not talking. Um, And then if what I'll be doing is I'll be giving you a couple drawings to draw in your guides. And if your parents think that you've done a good job listening, doing the drawings, after the service, you can go to our kids' table and get a prize. Uh, Parents, if you have kids uh, who are really little and need to stretch their legs a little bit, we do have this new kind of area out uh, in our cafe area that we invite you to use uh, as well. But would you all now listen with open ears as I read from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 8. Listen now with open ears as I read from this, the book that we love. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh, holy God, we come to you now. And uh, Lord, I recognize that as we have come in this room, as we've sat under these words, as we've uh, sung these songs, perhaps some of us have listened to, uh, simply listened along. I recognize, Lord, that uh, in a room this size, that no doubt we do all come from all kinds of different places. Uh, Some of us come in here and uh, 
Lord, we are in a spirit, uh, a we are in a season of blessing. We are in a time in our life and our circumstances where things are going well. Well, Lord, I recognize for others of us that that could not be further from the truth. Some of us come in here and uh, things are falling apart. Uh, some of us have uh, deep uh, pain in our bodies. Some of us are dealing with sleeplessness and depression and anxiety. Uh, Lord, some of us perhaps are even in despair. And Lord, I recognize that whatever place we find ourselves in this morning, whether we are here uh, with joy or with sadness, whether we are here having believed in you for a long time or whether we're here simply exploring Christian faith, Lord, I recognize that we all do ultimately come the same. All of us have come in here with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. And I pray that you would accomplish that, do that uh, as we gaze upon the person and work of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. I wonder, do any of the kids, do any of the kids here know how to draw a beautiful butterfly? You do? All right. Well, what I want you to do is, I, I want to just say, by the way, that, you know, uh, in case you kids don't know, uh, most of you here live in Phoenixville, Right, but if you don't remember how to say Phoenixville, you can just tell your friends, I live in Seattle, where it's always cloudy. Because that's what, that's what it's been for the last several months, is every day is cloudy and depressing, right? And that's because we live in Seattle, but without the grunge music. So I'm sorry about that. So you're gonna have to work really hard to try to think about how to draw a butterfly. But we're gonna help you with that because every week we have our, what, what we call our featured artist. And if you kids are interested in one day being a featured artist, you can talk to our director of children's ministry, Patty Sanceri, about that. But today's featured artist is Eva Pesnell. And what I want you to do is draw two things. First, a caterpillar, and then next to it, draw it becoming a beautiful butterfly. And she's written up this word here called transform. So you can leave that on the screen and you kids go, go ahead and do our first drawing. I asked this to be our first drawing because uh, this word here in our passage uh, in verse 2 where it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word transform is the word, uh, Greek word metamorphozo, by which we get our word metamorphosis, by which we describe this process that a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And as I've been reflecting on this passage and I've been reflecting on my own uh, kind of calling in life and on you and on our church and on our town, I will tell you that I've come back to uh, a related word, I would say, uh, a, a word that I would like to better understand uh, in our own experience as a church, and that's this word power, right? Um, so I can remember back in May of this year will be our ninth anniversary as a church where we were constituted. And I can remember back to our very first service where we decided to open our doors and invite the town of Phoenixville to come and worship. And does anyone want to guess what I was thinking that very moments before that very first service? It's not hard. Anyone want to guess? Will anyone come? <laughs> I still think that every week we get here. It's like church is starting. There's like two people in the room. Will anyone come this week? <laughs> right? But for the longest time, I'll just give you a confession. When you're a church planner, no one admits this, but if you ever know a church planner, you can have the inside scoop. If you, if you ever know a church planner, we all think the same things, right? Will anyone come? Is this going to work? Right? Is it going to stick around? Is it going to last? And so for nine years, 
Uh, I would think this quite a bit, but I'll tell you that in the last several years, probably the last three years or so, I've actually shifted to a different question that is the one that is on my mind more so today, right? You know, people do, you, you do eventually get here. Thank you. Um, grateful for that, right? People do come. Uh, but now I ask a different question. That's this. Will the work that we're doing, right, all the work that you're doing, will this work matter, right? Will our town be changed? That's the question that's more so on my mind these days. And I'll tell you that, you know, I've begun to pray more so for our town, for our neighbors, for folks that are not in any church, and ask the question, Lord, will the work that we're doing, will it matter for them? Will it matter for those who are far away? Uh, and as I've been considering this question, uh, this passage has been so helpful to me as it brings us back to the source of the power of Christianity, right? So Christian faith historically has been a movement of profound power, actually, right? So if you think back to when uh, Christian faith sort of explodes onto the scene, uh, starting at the book of Acts, and then moving forward in a climate of intense persecution, right? So you had the government of the time garners its resources and its power against the church. Says we do not like this religion. It's becoming too powerful. You know, we can't stomp it out. They're following a person who's, who, is, who they allege who has been raised from the dead, and we cannot stop them. It's being led by, to some extent, uneducated people, and it's gathering a profound amount of power Right, to the point that it becomes, I, I think it's, uh, it's unquestionable that Christianity and Jesus Christ in specific, he is the most influential person in all of human history, no matter what culture you're part of. Right, that there's no culture, there's no person who has uh, impacted the course of the world more so uh, than his teachings and then teachings about him. Where does that power come from? Well, uh, this passage seems to give us a bit of an indication, and we see it confirmed in church history, uh, and that is this, that the power of Christianity, the power of Christian faith comes from the centrality of mercy, right? So that every other religion on the face of the planet can effectively be boiled down to the question, what must I do to please a deity so that he's nice to me, or at a bare minimum, at least he's not cruel to me. What must I do to do that? But Christian faith says, can you discover how profoundly gracious God is to you, even when you get it wrong? And it's understanding that mercy that provides, that explodes power in a person's life and in the life of a church. So for example, uh, Romans, uh, is, Romans 8 is my favorite chapter in all of scripture. So I, I prescribe this often for folks to memorize, and I've done so um, even in my own family at times, right? And there was a man named Martin Luther that you're probably familiar with. Martin Luther uh, is, is likewise one of the most consequential figures in all of church history. And he has an experience where he goes from reading the book of Romans and he discovers in the third chapter that when Paul says there is a way to be righteous that is apart from the law, when he discovers the reality to say that you mean God can accept me not because of what I do? but because of what Christ has done. 
it so profoundly changes his life that he goes on to lead a revolution that's been now termed the Protestant Reformation. The book of Romans impacted his life to such an extent that he actually memorized the entire book in three languages, right? So our staff has been memorizing Psalm 1, and next we're going to memorize the book of Romans in, no, just kidding. <laughs> well, maybe we'll consider that someday, but, and, and friends, what, what we see here in, in this part of Romans, this chapter 12 begins kind of a final section. Paul says this, he says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, and look at how the NIV puts it, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, what Paul is saying is this, that if you are actually understanding the mercy of God, if it's beginning to click in your head, if it's beginning to make sense, one of the ways that you know that's happening is that you begin to worship him, not as a ritual, but by offering up your very self. Right, so religion is often very disconnected from the person, disconnected from the body, disconnected from the mind. Religion is, is often, let me go fulfill a ritual by which uh, I can be you know, religious and to uh, fulfill my duties. But in Christian faith, the teaching is this, when you see how deeply and how richly and how profoundly God has loved you apart from works, one of the ways you know that that's true is that you begin to worship him not simply with a part of your life but with everything that you are with all that you have and that's what this passage is saying he's saying in view of God's mercy right I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice right don't offer it a part of yourself but offer all that you are all that you have to God um one commentator said this so helpful. He said, the human body uh, includes right from the beginning the capacity of expressing love, that love in which a person becomes a gift and by means of this gift fulfills the meaning of his being and existence. Right, so what he's saying is that God has created you, he's designed you actually to live a life of this kind of worship that is expressed in this way. And the word that's connected to it is our word up on the screen there earlier, which is this word transform, right? So how do you know that you're, we said this, how do you know that you're getting the grace of God? How do you know that it's clicking? Answer, as you begin to worship in a different way. Question number two, how do you know that you're beginning to worship in a different way? Answer, you begin to undergo a process of transformation, a process similar to which the caterpillar becomes the butterfly kids. Meta you have a metamorphosis. And he says that you have that um, by actually changing the way that you think. So that's in verse two. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. So kids, what I want you to do now, if you, if you everyone have their butterflies? Is everyone dreaming of spring? I'm dreaming of spring. All right, well, what I want you to do now is let's do our next drawing. I want you to draw yourself thinking really hard about something. So here we go. Here's our next drawing. And this is, this is something I've been pondering quite a bit. So this is Eva's room, and she's thinking, is God real? That's a hard, that's a, that's a deep question. And she's having sweet dreams. So you can think of, maybe that's the thought you want to think about. Maybe it's something else. Um, but I want you to draw yourself thinking of something very deeply. So this is what he says. He says that the way in which your worship is changed, the way in which you begin to offer your bodies, interestingly enough, is actually connected to the way that you think. 
It's connected to the renewal of your mind. And then he's going to go somewhere very specific with this that we're going to look at as well. What does it mean to have a changed mind in the context of this passage? What does that mean in particular? And he'll actually narrow it down. He'll zero in to, to two items uh, that I think will guide us in the rest of our time together. He says this, to have a transformed mind, to have a, a mind that's undergoing a metamorphosis of such, shows up in two places. Number one, it shows up in discovering limits that you previously weren't aware of. And then secondly, it shows up in discovering design. Right, so there's two areas in Paul's mind that come to the surface when he begins this discussion on transformation. Number one, discovering limits. Secondly, discovering design. Let's look at those together. Number one, discovering limits. Uh, look with me in verse three. He says this. He says, for, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of, of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, does any of the kids know? I hope I don't get in trouble. Okay. Does any of the kids know this word sober? <laughs> you do? What does it mean? It means that you're not drunk. Yes. Very good. Right? So to be sober is to, is to, is to not be drunk. And I'll tell you that, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes if you're around someone who's not sober, sometimes it's funny, right? I mean, sometimes people begin to say things that make you laugh. I mean, that happens. Other times uh, it's, it's very sad. Uh, one of the experiences I had growing up actually was one on the sad side. So I had a coworker who was the life of the party. Uh, his name was Butch, uh, nickname was Butch, and he was the life of the party. I was a kid working at my dad's printing company, uh, and he would run some of the printers and was the life of the party, and I remember him very dearly. Um, actu uh, was able actually to set him up with a friend of mine's older sister, and it actually worked, oddly enough. <laughs> you know, as a kid, I was able to set this guy up, but he was the life of a party until one day uh, he became drunk, uh, and he drove his motorcycle at 80 miles per hour into the back of a semi-truck. And that was very sad. And um, uh, you know, his mom uh, was just beside herself, right, in, in relationship to this, of course. Right? And, and part of the problem is, is that when you're not sober, right, you don't think of yourself clearly to the point that you can actually harm yourself and you can harm others, right? When you're not sober, you're not thinking in accordance with what's actually true. You're thinking about things that are not true. Right? For example, he was thinking, I can drive 80 miles an hour uh, into the back of a semi-truck and be just fine. Right? He wasn't thinking clearly. And Paul says that there is a spiritual equivalent of this, that where you can actually be thinking and living as a Christian person in a way that is comparable right, to the way this man was thinking and living this one evening. Right? There is a spiritual danger that you can be experiencing and living in such a way that you're actually doing something just like this. What is that? And this is what he says. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Right? He's like, when you think of yourself too highly, you're actually thinking just like an intoxicated person is thinking of themselves as they think, no problem, I can, I can go and drive home, I'll be fine. Right? What does he mean by that? 
I wonder. H how might be that happening in your life and in mine? Well, I used to think that what this was simply doing was it was simply telling me to look at my own talents, abilities, um, and then just to basically take them down a couple notches, right? Uh, I used to think that. I actually don't think that anymore because the passage is going to point us in a different direction, right? You know, I, I come into contact with people that I think are attempting to live this way, and so, you know, you meet someone, they're a professional musician, you know, they can sing and play anything, and you say, hey, will you join the worship team? Oh, I'm not very good, right? And you're like, what are you talking about? You're amazing, right? That's not what this is. That's not what this is. Uh, this is not lying about your talents or lying about your abilities that's in Paul's view. There's something else. So what does he have in view? And the answer, I think, is in verse 4. So look at verse 4 with me to get this answer. Right, what, how might you be thinking of yourself in a way that's not sober in its judgment? And that's verse 4. It says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. You see, for Paul, what's going on here is he's saying this, you think too highly of yourselves. You're, you're guilty of living kind of a spiritually intoxicated existence when you believe that you don't actually need other people in a church community, right? When you live isolated, right? When you, when you approach your life and your walk with God and you say, look, you know what? I don't need to get close to others. I don't need to ever depend on others. I don't even need to get into that mess called community. I'm just fine the way that I am, right? Some of you, for what it's worth, some of you have that opinion, right? And the scripture would gently confront you and say, you, you, you know, you're, you're kind of acting like Butch, right? You're acting like this guy who thought that he was just fine. You see, the scripture says that you were designed with limits, Right, that you've not been given all of the resources for which to thrive in this world. Your friends, your neighbors, your other your person sitting next to you has been given things that you haven't been given to the point that you are in need of the gifts of others. Do you see that here? In Christ we, though many, form one body, and then look at the last statement, and each member belongs to the others. Right, that you belong to the person sitting next to you, that they belong to you. And so what this passage is showing us is that when you come in, when you have a powerful encounter with God's grace, when it begins to make sense to you, you begin to think of yourself differently. And the way that that first shows up is you say, you know what, I need to be in community with people who are different than me. So one of my dear friends used to uh, receive the form for small groups at our church in New York. He used to receive the forms for, you know, folks looking for a small group. And I'll never forget, he, he, was, um, he was not someone who would ordinarily be a PR representative. <laughs> he would tell you what he thought. And he, used, he got this letter once and it said, Hi, I'm a young, professional, single, Asian, looking for people just like me. Do you have a group that I can attend where we can do sports and, you know, athletics and this other stuff? And he, <laughs> of course, wrote them back and 
attempted to correct that level of thinking and you know place them in a group with people as different as possible from themselves, <laughs> right? Um, but the point is, is that God has designed us to be in community with people who are wired differently than we are, right? We, in Christ, we form one body with members who have been given, been given different gifts in such a way that we belong to each other. You know, uh, we, we really love the idea of church membership here, so we'll be having our next church membership kind of process coming up. If you're interested in that, I'd highly recommend it. And sometimes I'll get this question, you know, church membership's not in the Bible. Why do you do that? You know, can't we just come and, you know, be fine? One answer I would give to that is actually in this passage, right? That in Christ, each member belongs to the other, right? The church membership is a way that we try to facilitate people saying to one another, I belong to you. You belong to me. I have your back. You have mine. I want to grow in community with you, especially when we find that we are different. So that's the first thing, right? To be transformed by the renewing of your mind involves thinking of your limits, realizing that you don't have all of the spiritual resources necessary to grow and thrive in Christ's kingdom, and that you are actually dependent on the gifts of others. Now, kids, what I want you to do now is I want you to draw yourself all right, are you guys ready, kids? Every, all the kids ready? All right, I want the kids now to draw yourself giving gifts to different members of your family. Now, it did occur to me in thinking this that some people do just give the exact same gifts to everyone. Does anyone do that? Any parents just give the same thing to both kids, right? No, most of us all give different gifts to each kid, right? Um, so what I want you to do is, kids, draw yourselves giving different presents to each member of your family. Maybe it's Christmas, okay? And you can even, like, show what those presents are, how uh, different presents go with different people. Distribute gifts to them, okay? So the first thing we said is that to, to undergo a transformation in mind, you begin to understand your limits. The second thing is that to undergo a transformation in mind is that you begin to understand your design. Right? So, for example, in this passage, uh, in verse 6, it says this, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Right? And the idea behind this is that when God made you, right, when God was forming you, that he was making you, designing you in such a way that you would have things to offer to him and to one another, that in many ways are unique. So for example, let me give you some verses that teach this. Uh, first one, my favorite, is Ephesians 2.10. Paul says that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the idea is that God has been preparing for you particular good works that are designed for you to walk in, or uh, I love the 139th Psalm where he says, your eyes saw my unformed substance, that you were knitting me together in the depths of the earth. This imagery blows my mind as it's describing God looking at particles, right? We're all made from the dust, right? From our raw chemical components. And he's looking at these particles and he's saying, you know what? I'm going to make Stephanie. 
and she's going to be really special and really amazing and have really uh, special gifts to offer her friends and her church and her neighbors and her clients in ways that are going to be completely and utterly unique in Phoenixville. And he's looking at those little particles and he's thinking about that and designing that. Right? It's one of the most profound passages, I, I think, in all of Scripture. And it goes on to say that all the days that were ordained for me were written in your book when yet none of them had come to pass. Or another really popular one, of course, is Jeremiah 29, where he says, I know the plans that I have for you. Right? Many of you have probably quoted this verse at times. I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you. Right? And the idea is that God has been designing a certain life for you. And of course, um, on, on more on the negative side, but I think it still gets across the point in the book of Exodus, uh, God will say to Pharaoh, he'll say, look, for this reason I've raised you up, right? That I may show my power and declare my name throughout the whole earth because of your life. And the idea is very simple, that God is very intentional with the way that he forms a person, with the way that he distributes some gifts and withholds others, right? And part of the way that we undergo this transformation, this metamorphosis process, is by first discovering our limits, and then secondly, by discovering our design, right? That the way to thrive in God's kingdom, one way, is to understand that God has given you particular gifts and then a particular mission with which to use them. And friends, I'll tell you that this is a real key to uh, doing well in, in a whole lot of parts of your life. So I just started a new kind of premarital counseling session with a couple, wonderful couple. We just had our very first meeting on Friday and at our, I'll just, I'll give you the spoiler, okay? Sorry for those of you who are one day gonna be in my office in this way. Uh, the very first meeting, what we actually look at is second chapter of Genesis. And we ask the question, uh, why did God give Adam the helper, right? Why did he, he says, you know, I will make a helper fit for him. Why did he do that? How do you understand marriage? What's it all about? And I'll give you the little spoiler, and that's this, that when you read in the second chapter of Genesis that the giving of Eve to Adam is directly connected to the mission that God has for him, right? And I'll tell you just a big, little bit of a kind of a marriage advice for you, that one of the things that will destroy a marriage, I think, faster than anything is to try to think about your marriage apart from the mission God has for you. Because if you do that, your marriage simply becomes a tool by which to experience happiness and pleasure, which, which it is. But if it's disconnected from God's mission, it is virtually guaranteed to self-implode. Okay? Because we have not been designed to think about these things apart from mission. Apart from God giving us work to do. And so, in this passage... What Paul is doing is he is calling upon the people of the Roman church, of the church in Rome, to discover their design and then to commit to serving out of that design. And friends, I'll tell you that, you know, on staff, we've been talking a little bit about this as we've been kind of focusing on this question, how can we help you to discover the way that God's made you, the way that he's gifted you? and to help you so that you begin to serve him in a way that brings you far more joy than you presently have, right? It's a question that we're asking, things that we're working on. And I'll tell you that there, there are a few things in my ministry that have brought me as much joy as walking with a person 
and watching the lights go on as they discover that God has given them gifts that they were unaware of. Right, I can think back to the very first season of our church. Um, we had a person who had never led anything in their, in their entire lives, and it's a real perk of church plants is that, you know, if you have a pulse, you can lead. So <laughs> we're like, you'll lead these five things, of course. Um, and, you know, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't, but I'll tell you that there was a real pleasure. Uh, there was a, a, a woman named Christine, and uh, in her previous experience, she was never allowed to lead anything or, or to do anything like that, and she led our hospitality ministry in a way that brought so much life to the people that served with her, and I was, I was just absolutely delighted to watch her grow and thrive and just beam with joy uh, as she served, discovering she had gifts that she was completely unaware of. And I'll tell you, friends, that that is my heart for you. You know, uh, if, you, if you do go through this membership process, we'll talk to you about serving in the church. And I just want you to know, to try to believe me as much as you can, that I am not interested in filling positions, right? It's really not my thing. You know, and I can say that now because I'm actually not responsible for it anymore. Laura is. <laughs> so <laughs> she's like, we don't have anyone for this. And I'm like, yeah, that, that must be hard. Um <laughs> But in all seriousness, you know, that is really not my, my issue, right? My desire is to see you discover how God has made you and then to serve in accordance with those gifts. Because when you do, right, when you do, you will have a kind of joy, a kind of satisfaction that you long for, right? And Laura will be a happier person, which, which is nice, which is nice at the iron office there. Um, but in all seriousness, I want to tell you that you know, if you have gotten into kind of a funk where you're not trying to discover how God's made you, you're just sort of like cruising through your Christian life, you are missing out. Um, and he has given you gifts, uh, and it actually, it'll say here, in order to use them, right? We have been given gifts in order to use them. So if, so then he'll go through and he'll point out the different ones and, you know, some have been gifted in this way, let them use them in this way, some have been given in the other way, let them use them in that way. So kids, what I want you to do now is let's draw yourselves serving in church. Do we have that drawing? Yes. And here we have uh, a wonderful me serving communion. This is the bread, uh, body, sh uh, bread shed for you. And then we have Liam is making a special photo bomb <laughs> here. <laughs> Liam is photobombing the uh, communion drawing. Good work there, Eva. All right. Okay. Well, what I want to do, guys, is I want to just give you this simple exhortation to discover your limits afresh, and then to secondly, discover your design and how God has designed you, and then to seek to orient your life around his mission uh, and not to simply be in cruise control. And as we do that, we're going to turn our attention to this table and as I was thinking about uh, bringing you to the Lord's table, what I was reminded of is the kind of transformation that our Lord Jesus himself went through. So in the book of Philippians, it says that the Lord Jesus, though he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he took on the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. So the idea is that Jesus Christ who is perfectly content, perfectly happy, has everything he could ever want, decides to undergo a humiliation so that you and I could be brought in to become members of his family. That he undergoes his own kind of transformation, right? Whereby he exchanges the glory of heaven 
for the shame of a cross, where he exchanges the pleasures of the throne for the agony and the beatings of Calvary. And he does that so that you and I could be brought in, so that we could be given gifts, so that we could be members, sons and daughters of his father with him. And I'll tell you, therefore, that uh, that means I believe that you can trust him. That if you're here and you're skeptical of Christianity, you're not sure whether you believe any of this stuff or not. You're saying, is this even worth my time to come back and to go to the reason for God on Friday to think about these things? And I will tell you that, again, there is no other religion in all the face of the world, in all of human history, whereby the center of it is God himself taking upon weakness, offering his very body for the sake of his enemies. But that is the Christian gospel. That is why we worship. That is why we are here. That is why we can rest easy at night, whether we have gotten it right or whether we have gotten it wrong. That is why our identity is not rooted in what we do. That is why we love him with all that we are and all that we have. So I do want to invite you to consider these exhortations and allow me to pray for you as we come to this table. Let's pray together. All right, holy God, we do praise you and worship you, and I pray that you would pour out blessing upon this town. Lord, as I have prayed before, I pray again that the work that we do here would be accompanied with the power of Christ to change us, to change our city, to change our friends, our neighbors, those we love and care for very deeply. And Lord, I pray that you would give us grace this year to discover our limits, to not try and do things that we have not been designed to do, but to also discover our design. Lord, I pray that uh, we would have the privilege of seeing all kinds of people discovering ways that they are gifted they, they were previously unaware of this year, that we would see folks go to be thriving members of your kingdom through Christ our Lord, whom we worship now. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand and approach this table together.